face or that we may receive help in our time of need. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You, might, you may take your seats. If you'll, if you'll uh, turn in your Bibles, we're going to be of Genesis, Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. If you could put up the slide of the, uh, of the word cloud, I always like to emphasize that this is a Bible-believing church. It's always front and center. And, and if you are here for the first time, I want you to be able to know that the Bible is not just symbolically opened here and on the front desk, but it is symbolically opened. Uh, I mean, it's actually opened in as we preach. It's kind of nice to see all the things coming to light. Uh, it looks like we're going to have a lot of crackling. When you come, wow. Listen, it's exciting to be able to see how uh, things are coming together. As we're stepping up to be able to see some new things this fall, the church is, is uh, going to be reunited in, uh, in September uh, after the two beach services are, are completed on Labor Day. Uh, then we're going to be coming back here having communion on that Sunday, the second Sunday of September, uh, followed by a, uh, a family gathering. We want to be able to make sure the family of God gathers and prays together and stays together because we said that God has put us here for such a time as this. You go to the book of Esther, that's how it works. Now, that word cloud reminds us that uh, if you're here, and I, I'd love for you to be identified with the church, and that's why we have the new members class. It'll be offered usually once a month. Uh, it's going to be offered today after church, but it'll also be offered, I think, in about 10 days. Uh, not next week, uh, because I'm preoccupied, but we're going to schedule it during the week of the following. So if you're interested in taking the seminar during the week, please let us know. Call the church office, and we'll see if we can arrange that. Uh, as we gather together, we are going to open the Bible, but inside the Bible, we're always going to take you to the cross. The message of the gospel is to them that are perishing foolishness, but unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God to salvation. And when you think about it, the gospel restructures and reorients everything. And in fact, the Bible says that all things become new once God has changed us. Things are different, and that's why when we talk about being reformed and covenantal, when we talk about me multi-generational worship cherishing, all those things are things we want to do because the Word of God has taken root in our lives, and God has regenerated us and given us faith. And once we see, once we can look more full in His wonderful face, then we want to come and meet with God and actually encounter God to have wow moments of worship, and we want to make sure we steal any credit from Him. And that's what it means by the reformed faith. God is big in salvation, and you are not. You know, it is he that begins a good work in you, and he will finish it until the day of Christ. Now, is there evidence of your change in your life and the way you speak and the way that you conduct yourself? Absolutely. When Jesus said, by your fruit you shall know them, you'll be able to recognize folks that God is working on. They're different. Sometimes it's, they're different because they're actually sitting in church, too. 
why would anyone want to leave the beach today, except maybe it was a little warm, uh, but it was beautiful, beautiful to watch the sun there this morning. Now, our theme as we uh, enter the message today from Genesis chapter, uh, from Genesis chapter 7, I want to read that text for you. Uh, I'm going to read it twice, but in Genesis chapter 7, verse 23, the text there says that he, that is God, blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man, animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out. Out from the earth. Don't you love the Bible? Don't you love the pastor picking texts like this? I'm picking and choosing. Let me go back over this again. And I want you to make sure that you realize that the period is there, but the thought doesn't stop there. God blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Every man all the animals, including creeping things, and even the birds and the things that fly in the heavens. All of them were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him on the ark. You see how it makes a difference when you finish the rest of the thought? I want to tell you today about God. Many of us are living in a culture that is godless. Our money may say, in God we trust, but it's not demonstrated by how they conduct themselves and what they say and what they do. The question is, does it change us in the church? If we believe God, does it change what we say and what we do and how we act? I want to encourage you. There's several other verses that I'm going to be looking at today. So let me read them for you. They all talk about a God who is serious. A God who is not asleep. Now listen to these texts, if you will, follow along. Uh, from Genesis uh, chapter 6, verses 3 through 8. Uh, this is the context for that other passage. When the Lord said... My spirit shall not always abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, or the giants, which were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards there were sons of God in the... The sons of God came... The sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. But the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in this earth... And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. And this is when the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that, that is the passage that opens up the door to chapter 7. But now, if you look at a few New Testament passages, Romans chapter 5 talks about, therefore, just as sin uh, came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death has spread to all men because all have sinned. So in that particular passage, the Apostle Paul is telling the believers in Rome that sin is not just in one place, it's permeated every place where there are people. And in Romans 6, Paul goes on to explain in chapter 6.23, for the wages or the cost of the sin is this commodity of death. Now, some of you might just think of that as that's their last breath. It's not. It's talking about separation. 
the idea of the necros, uh, which is the Greek word, has to do with the body being separated from the soul, the material from the immaterial. There's a great division, but when he talks about this death, it's actually a separation from God, but actually we can't get away from God. Do you know, if you descend into hell, or if you go into the heavens, if you try to go to the beach, or if you go to your closet, you can't get away from God. So the second death is not about getting away from God, but it's being separated from God's grace. And God's love. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 20, the apostle Peter, when he is finishing up his ministry, he's writing to the people and he says, because they formerly did not obey God, but God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought through the water. Interesting how Peter puts it, talking about Genesis chapter 7. Now, in 2 Peter, in the last book that Peter wrote, he says, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, God condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what, he is, of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Now, that's not a pleasant thought. If you go to, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, towards the end, this is where some gravitate to, but I want to explain it today too. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. And scoffers will scoff. Isn't that amazing? He says, uh, in the last days, they will come with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. In other words, they're listening to their own thoughts. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. They're listening to other people's voices, certainly not the word of God. In verse 4, it says, and they will say, so where is the promise of, of God's coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, it's kind of interesting, during Peter's day, they still believed in creation. Nowadays, we've already eliminated creation. We've canceled it. Now they believe in evolution or a Big Bang or something like that. But he says, since our parents were around, since we've known anybody, he says, things are always like they've always been. And that's what scoffers say. It's, it's going to keep continuing this way. Uh, verse 4, where is the promise of God's coming for ever since... The, our fathers fell asleep. Everything keeps continuing as it was. Verse 5, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed longer, existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. In other words, God said, let there be. Then he goes on to tell the people that he's writing to in verse 7, by the same word, by the same creative word of God, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for, for fire. It's another term meaning judgment. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some might count slowness, but God is patient towards us, towards you, he says, not wishing that any of you should perish, but that all of you should come to repentance. That has some good emphasis there, too. In Matthew 24, we've been looking at this last month. For as in, the days uh, as in the days before the flood, the people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the door was shut. In Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. This is he's writing to the church in, in Galatia there in southern Turkey. Do not be deceived, church members. God is 
not mocked. That's present progressive. That means he is not mocked now and he will never be mocked because it goes on to say, for whatever a human being sows, that he will also reap. Let me pray. Dear Lord, I do pray that the bad news that is contained in this text, in these texts, will not be able to overcome the good news that is found in these texts. Lord, I pray that you might direct our steps and you might lift up our countenance. Help us to see things in a different way as we look at them through biblical lenses. We pray that your will will be done on earth as in heaven and especially through the message being delivered today and being received that the Holy Spirit will make this especially effective that we might know that you are God and that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been looking at a key text of scripture in Psalm 2 since the election last year. Part of the reason that we keep looking at it is because as pastor, I keep going back to it as a place of refuge. Psalm chapter 2, where David ends up saying, what's going on? Why do the heathen or why do the secular people rage? Why do they imagine all these vain things? And why do they set themselves against God and against God's anointed people and against God's anointed son? Why do they do it? They're angry. That text comforts me because it doesn't end there. David is looking around at the culture he's in. Even back in those days when they didn't have social media, they didn't have the New York Times or they didn't have MSNBC. David was looking around this culture and he says, you know what? There's a lot of people around here and they don't know you, God. They're heathen. They, they are secular. They're godless. And, and, he, and he looks around and he says, they're all raging. They're all filled with this, this stuff. They're like bubbling up. And they can't even it. They can't just stay put. They can't be at peace because they're not at peace. But it's interesting that these secular people, when they get stirred up and when they get, uh, when they get to plotting their, their, their things and they're cutting the cords of any kind of Christianity, whew, David says, God, why are you laughing? He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. And then he answers his question. He says, oh, because you'll have them in derision. And you'll vex them in your sore displeasure, to use the old King James language. You'll take care of it. Now, all of us today in 2021, all of us in this church are, can easily say that God is sovereign. By the way, that's what a good reformed person would do. Because it's true. God is absolutely sovereign. There's no maverick molecule in this universe. He does according to his will among the, among the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or hold it back. And none are even in the position of questioning God, why do you do what you do? Satan tried to do that. And you can read about that in the book of Job. Today we're living in a godless age. And there are people raging against Christianity. Part of the prayer request for Afghanistan was to see that people who have been starting churches in Kabul are afraid now that they won't be able to meet anymore because there's a lot of folks who don't want Christians to gather. They don't want the Bible to be opened. 
And, as a, and, and I would say that this is a, a big part of the agenda that Satan has, which is to distract people from ever opening the Bible, from ever listening to it. There are so many things that are grabbing your attention these days, so many voices that are being spoken, and it's so hard to stay focused on that still, small voice of God speaking to your soul. Romans 8 says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. But many times we go around as if we're aimless. Our theory, our, our series has been applied during this month of August by asking the question, do you trust science? Do you trust science? That's been a popular, um, popular term that I've heard echoed by a lot of people that are in positions of power. They want to be able to say, the science says this. Of course, a lot of times we're not able to see their research, and, and a lot of those reports are never brought forward. But the interesting thing that I want to challenge you on is that if people say that they have the truth when they don't believe in God, they may have some illustrations, they may have some statistics, but they're not dealing with the truth. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you've got to know Christ. If you don't know him, then you're leaning on somebody else's understanding, and it's, it's affecting yours. Now, in, our, in our, um, our, our month, the five Sundays of uh, August, we've been asking this question, does origin matter? Does age matter? Does human life have value? Does, does your motives and actions matter? And next week, we'll ask, can you see any design in things? Now, if you ask science these questions, they can't give you an answer. They can only ask more questions. They can propose different thoughts. They can form different hypotheses. But they don't know about the origin. They weren't there. That's why we emphasize when God answered Job and he says, they weren't there, but I was. Let me tell you about it. So the origin, we know that God created. He spoke and it was done. He told Moses to write it down. And that's how we know. If you, uh, if you ask the second question, does the age matter? Right now, science tries to use age as an explanation, as a balm to be able to get you to swallow the idea that, that somehow a dinosaur can turn into a bird, or is it the other way around? A bird can turn into a dinosaur. Or, or let's make it a little bit more. You need a little bit more time to figure out that you have turned out from a monkey into a human being. See, time is the bomb that they use to try to get you to believe this, to swallow it. The sad thing is, is that if you look at Scripture, there's not enough time to accomplish that. Because for one, mutation doesn't bring about better. It always brings about worse. But uh, you, the Bible only talks about uh, since the beginning of time with Adam and Eve on the sixth day, there is roughly, uh, there's less than 10,000 years accounted. Now, if you look at the third question, which we looked at, does human life have value? Well, science can't even tell you when human life ends. They can't even tell you when it begins. Although we can look around and we can see a, heart, a beating heart, and we can see what happens with the egg and the sperm. We can see all those things. But science doesn't know how to calculate what life really is. Is it when you have brain waves? Is it when you actually still, you know, from a plant standpoint, that you still are absorbing uh, food? It's really interesting that we understand the value of a life. And God's explained it better. Because he said life is so valuable that he gave his only begotten son's life. That you might have it. Now today's question is, does, does your actions, does your motives, do they matter? There's a lot of people that go around today and say, I can do whatever I want to do. It's, it's my time, I'm young, I'll sow my wild oats. 
There are a lot of folks who think that they can get away with saying whatever they want, unless you're on a campus where you have a safe space and you can't even speak. But in reality, we have this conception that we should be able to be like God and do whatever we want to do. And so the question that comes in, if, does it matter what you do and what you say and why you do it? And the answer is absolutely yes. Let me go take you to our text today, and it answers the question for us. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 23, he, that is God, blotted out every living thing. Now answer that question. Does it matter what you do? Does it matter why you do it? You know the answer. God's already revealed it. Even though science cannot prove it, I can tell you that God's already revealed it. It matters. The soul that sins will surely die. You can see that. And when you look at our text that God blotted out everything and he goes on to explain that was every human being, every animal, every creeping thing, and everything that was flying in the air. Everything that was dependent on, not, on having nostrils to be able to breathe. Everything drowned in the flood. Except, except Noah. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. So today's message is kind of interesting for all of us to view because I'm trying to tell you that what you do matters. What you say matters. Why you do it matters. Now, it's kind of scary when, uh, as Jonathan Edwards preached just, uh, you know, 500 miles north when he was preaching. It's a dangerous place to be. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. When he preached that message during the first great awakening, people were afraid. They were afraid to go home. They were afraid to go to church. They were afraid to do a lot of things because they realized that the sinfulness of sin was requiring that God was going to judge it. And I think the illustration was it's like being like a, a, a spider dangling on a spider web over a cauldron hot boiling pot. It's a dangerous place to be in the hands of an angry God. We need to trust God. I want to be able to tell you about that God that you can trust. There's three things. If you take the fourth point note, you're going to be able to see that God is a, that the character of God. We're going to look at the compulsion of God and the compassion of God. I just want you to be able to try to understand it, to see the big picture, the helicopter view, that God has a character. And that's the reason behind all of this. I wouldn't be preaching today about God blotting things out if he didn't have some character. We're going to look at the character of God. Then we're going to see how that character moves him and drives him. It com it's compulsive. And then we're going to look at something that most people miss. There's still compassion. And that's the rest of the story. So the first thing, if you're following along, the character of God is that he is holy and just. In fact, when God made everything, he made it holy as well. In fact, I used to teach my kids when they were little. I can't believe Christian was little. When he was little, we always talked about the little catechism things where we would do the question and answer for kids. Who made you? God. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you in all things? Christian used to say, for his own glory. Couldn't pronounce the L. Still treasure that. I'm going to miss it. Now, when you, when you think about this, this great God has character. He is holy. Larger catechism puts it like this. God is a spirit. He's infinite, eternal. He's unchangeable. And in his being are wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth. God is something else. There is nobody that can even compare to him. 
And that's why I was trying to show. And when you understand this character of God, that he is holy, the, the Hebrew word kavod talks about him being heavy or having uh, a weightiness. Uh, if you go to the uh, New Testament word, it talks about him being sacred or set apart. It, it's kind of the root of sanctification. God is not like anything else. Peter Jones, who's a preacher, I, I listened to some of his stuff. He was, he was known for his simplistic presentation of this. He said, a lot of us are one-ism people instead of a two-ism. You say, what do you mean? Well, he explains it like this. He says, most people in this world think that everything is a part of this world. And it, it fits with Carl Sagan and all those other uh, scientists who said that this, the world is all there is and uh, that we're all just stardust. You know, this is all there is and this is all there ever will be. And basically, they talk about the universe as being one, and we're one with the universe. It's a form of pantheism, but it recognizes that everything is a part of this, of this existence. Now, the twoism is a little different. The twoism says, oh, yes, there is a universe, but then there's something other than the universe. Do you know who? God. And when you get the twoism down, you realize that God is separate from this universe. God is not dependent on this universe. God doesn't need this universe. The universe didn't exist except God brought it into being. You aren't here except God brought you into being. Now, once you realize that God is totally other and he's set apart, he is unique, he is holy, and that's what holiness has to be. So when we get to heaven, when we actually get to see our heavenly father, when we get to see the savior, uh, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to end up shouting, who are you? No, we're not. We've already been taught by that old hymn, those of you that remember, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Why do we say holy, holy, holy? Oh, because that's what the Bible says to say. Why does the Bible say it? Because God is unlike anything else. And when you recognize him, he's not like us. We may be created in his image, but he's God and we're not. The character of God is amazing. Being just, his unblemished character establishes the parameter of our behavior, what is right and wrong. The truth about religion is that it's not up to you. It's, you know, when, when people are trying to make decisions about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, getting a shot or not getting a shot, uh, always the question comes, when they ask me, I always say, what does the Bible say? Thou shalt wear a mask. Can any of you find that Bible verse for me? Now, you and do some extrapolation and say, well, we're supposed to work with the government. But you're also going to be able to go to some other texts that are going to tell you that, that your body's not your own. It's the Lord's and you better take care of it. You better be careful what you put into it. You better be careful what you put on it. You better be careful how you use it. And certainly don't abuse it. Now, there's a lot of things there, but I'm trying to show you that when you understand what right and wrong is, it's not built on what we think or what the popular opinion says. That's called peer pressure. It's based on what the holy God has established. Now, that's the first point, his character. In Genesis chapter 6, I read it for you. The Lord regretted that he had made man. That's a tough one. I had an 89-year-old guy, sharp as a tack, named Julian down in Florida. In the last church I pastored, he always told me, he says, God relented. God changed his mind so God was not immutable. That was fun to be able to talk to him about that. Did God change his mind? Did God go on this path and then all of a sudden, ah, I'm going to change to plan B? The answer is no. 
And that was kind of interesting. He tried to use this as a proof text. And if you actually go into the Hebrew and you're looking at it, it says that God was grieved at what he was looking at. Because the sinful condition of man had gotten so bad that to quote Genesis 6, the thoughts and the intents of the hearts were evil continually. It wasn't like you could just get up tomorrow and everything would be better. You get up tomorrow and it's just as bad, but now they're piling it on just like compound interest. It just gets worse and gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. That's why some people love the little babies because at least if they cried, you know, you knew what was you dealing with. When they turn into teenagers, oh man, you don't even know if they're telling you the truth. And when they turn into adults, you're not even sure if they're even going to come visit you anymore. Now, think about this, what I'm trying to say is that that God has established things very, very interesting that he set it up. And, and when, he, when he established that he, reg- uh, that he declared that he regretted uh, that he had made man, he was looking at it saying, it is awful what they're doing. It is downright despicable. That's what he was saying. And the second point comes in is the compulsion of God. Because we know the character of God that declares what is holy and just, then secondly, his compulsion is that he operates to uphold that holiness and justice. There is no freedom for any of us to get away with sin. There is no freedom for us to be able to say, well, I'll buy or I'm related to somebody. Uh, you know, I, I can do that because my dad was a preacher or something like that. You know, you think that, oh, you're related to so-and-so because uh, they, uh, they, they were George Washington. You, you're related to George Washington or something. None of those things matter. Because God in his holiness is compelled to punish sin. See if you can finish this verse for me from Romans chapter 6. The wages of sin is? Okay, you know it. I don't even have to convince you of it. I don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But that means God is going to punish sin. If I took you to Exodus 34, 7, when God was telling them about setting up the tabernacle and that he was going to dwell in their presence, man, that's pretty cool. The holy God was going to finally dwell among his people. Inside the tabernacle, the Shekinah glory was going to be right there above the angel's wings, above the seraphim, inside that guarded place with the, with the veils. You know, it's pretty fascinating that God would dwell with sinful man. But he said, I will by no means clear the guilty. Now, I don't know about you. This message is hard. Because it doesn't give us any outs. I mean, come on. What if you try really hard? Okay, or, or some of you might even make the deal. Well, I'm, I'm good one day out of seven at least. I'm nice. If you, if you catch what I'm saying, none of these arguments make any sense if you're standing before holy God. Because the soul that sins will truly get what it deserves. He will by no means clear the guilty Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. If you sow to the flesh, you will get the harvest. If a a person does what's right in his own eyes, it leads to death and destruction, Proverbs 14, 12. If you see the holy wrath is going to be poured out upon great or upon small, there is none that can escape. Now, once you establish that fact, now we're talking. Do you want to spend time with a holy God? Can you really imagine yourself singing holy, holy, holy? When you're more like Swiss cheese holy? Point three is where we have hope. I tell you that God is going to have to punish sin. There is no way about it. 
He has to punish sin because of his holy character. He is separate from this world and he cannot sit back and say, oh, you can get away with this this time. Oh, oh, I'll just overlook it. Or as I said at the beach recently, I have a family of eight and one of my brothers was notorious for saying, oh, well, oh, well, oh, well. I think partly is because nobody really was listening to him because he was one of the younger brothers. And so as a result, it ended up coming, well, if things are not going so great or if people are not paying attention or if I have ideas that nobody's listening to, well, oh, well, oh, well. You almost feel like there's no significance there. Well, God takes notice of every soul. As we indicated last week when we preached on, uh, when I was showing you through uh, Jesus' words in Luke chapter 12, verse 24, he says, consider the ravens. I'm not trying to look at the Ravens football team today. Uh, consider the Ravens, the actual birds that are flying or at the beach today. Consider the seagulls or the different ones that are there. And, and he says, they don't do a lot of work. They don't do the toil. They don't build the barns. But he says, your heavenly father takes care of them. Aren't you, more, aren't you greater than they? Don't you have more value than they? And the answer is obviously yes, because we have a soul that will never die. God has given us something that is amazingly valuable. And that soul is why the compassion of God is, is released. I ask this question, how could a holy and just God save unrighteous people? Now, I don't know if you've really f figured it out yet, but yes, you're one of the unrighteous people. I certainly am one of those unrighteous people. You know, all of us like sheep have fallen, have gone astray. We do what seems right in our own eyes. We, we have, we've messed up. Even the good things we do are tainted. There's none righteous. No, not one. And so how can a holy and just God who has to punish sin, how can he save us? And, and, and I mean, because otherwise he would blot us out. He would blot all of us out. Because there's none righteous. No, not one. Now, when you realize this point... The holy God did interact with his fallen creation. And this is called mercy and grace. But God, who is holy, established this principle of justice. Justice is so important because justice is God saying, this is the way it's going to be. I'm the holy God. I set up what's right and wrong. If you do what's right, you'll live. If you don't do what's right, you'll be separated from me, from my grace, and you'll, be, you'll die. That's the way God set it up. We call it the covenant of works. God entered into covenant with man when he made Adam and Eve. And he says, hey, you're healthy or you're holy and happy. You're set apart unto me. You're made in my image. You have a volition. And here you are. I've given you everything you need to have a wonderful life. And Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan to be able to say, we want more. We want to be like God. We want to have an understanding of something we don't quite understand yet. We want to understand the difference between good and evil. Wow, they ate the fruit, they got to know real quick that they knew what evil was because they were on the receiving end of it. And this is the amazing thing. Why didn't God blot them out? Some of us may fall into the false trap to think, well, because he didn't blot Adam and Eve out, he's not going to blot us out. No, if you look at Adam and Eve, they were kicked out of the garden. And why weren't they kicked into hell? And I'll tell you, it's because God's grace had found a way through justice. He actually said, okay, Adam and Eve, here you are. You're sinners. You deserve my wrath and curse. I'm about ready to blot you out. But the wrath and curse that's going to come down on your sin is not going to be put on you, Adam and Eve. It's going to be put on that animal. And when you wear those skins around, you're going to know that something had to die 
so that you could still live. You understand? The blood had to be shed. Now, that blood of that animal that gave this, the, its coat, its skins to be able to cover Adam and Eve, that, the blood was not pure. It was not precious. It was not good enough. Even though it was not, uh, it was not the reason why, I mean, the sin of the animal was not why the animal was put to death. It was so that God would be able to pour out his wrath symbolically on that animal so that he wouldn't have to pour it out and blot out Adam and Eve. Mercy and grace were extended. A holy God created a way. He found a way to be able to save us from our sins. God's love created that way. And before the foundations of the earth, God had already purposed that Jesus, his blood would be spilt so that we would be able to live. The Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Those are the quotes that John the baptizer, the cousin of Jesus, he sees Jesus coming and he says, that's the one. That's God's anointed one. That Christ is the one who is going to take the blotting for us. Therefore, he was able to forgive and to rescue, for God had found a way. If you look at our text in chapter 7, verse 23, only Noah was left and those that were with him on the ark. I had to tell you that I'm real happy that that part of the verse was still there because that told me a lot about the immutability of God, that God has been in the business of saving people Way, 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 way back there. I've already validated to you that God was in the business of, of having mercy on, on Adam and Eve. And likewise, he had mercy and grace upon Noah and his wife and his children and their spouses. All who were in the ark with Noah. Now, when you think about that for a moment, that's the covenant community. God entered into a covenant with Noah, and he says, I'll take care of you. I'll even bless you and your offspring, and I won't blot you out. I'll extend this grace, this mercy where you don't get what you deserve, and this grace that gives you what you don't deserve, some beautiful, some life, to even be able to enjoy this creation that I've made. Now, once you understand the beauty of this message the compassion of God that he found a way to still be holy and just and to still save some souls from unrighteousness. Now it brings the application questions to why I'm preaching it today on this series about trusting science. In my notes today, I have an article that came out that said that we're in code red. Let me see if I can turn to it and read a little bit of it. Uh, it came out this week. Some of the official leaders... In the, in the United Nations, they said the earth is getting so hot. Let me quote you. This is what they're telling us. August 10th, the earth is getting so hot that temperature in and about a decade will probably blow past a level of warming that the world leaders have sought to prevent, according to a report released on Monday that the United Nations called a code red for humanity. Quoted as saying, it's just guaranteed that it's going to get worse. That's what Linda Mearns, a climate science, scientist, said. Uh, uh, she was right. She says, there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. She's basically saying a similar message. You're going to be blotted out. But she says you're going to melt. The world is going to get so hot, you're going to melt. And there's no hope. We 
didn't save the planet. We thought that the scientists told you what to do. Why didn't you do it, people? The authoritative intergovernmental panel on climate change, they have a report, the IPCC report. It calls that climate change clearly is human-caused, and it's unequivocal and an established fact. It makes more precise and warmer forecasts for the 21st century than it did last time when it was issued in 2013. So now they're getting their facts more right. Each of the five scenarios for the future is based on how much carbon emissions are cut past and the more stringent of those two thresholds are. And so they start listing what are the five things. It's really interesting how um, the world leaders are agreeing to try to limit the warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius under each scenario. The report says the world will cross this, this 1.5 degrees Celsius warming mark by the 2030s. And if we don't do a good job, it'll even be sooner. Our report shows that we need to be prepared for going into that level of warming in the coming decades. But we can avoid further levels of warming by acting on the greenhouse gas emissions that authoritative scientists told us. The reason I read this with a little bit of mocking is because I want to challenge you to look to the Word of God rather than to your newspapers. This lady was revising her perspective from 2013 to 2021. Why did she need to revise it? Wasn't she right the first time? The thing is, is that, the, that science offers its speculations. Science offers its ideas, its hypothesis. But science doesn't deal with truth. They are correct in saying that something bad is coming. But they don't know what it's bad. Now, they describe this as glory and it's going to get a little hotter and you're going to be able to melt. It almost has the implication that the world is going to come to an end. You almost can join with Henny Penny. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. I want to encourage you that when the wrath of God is poured out, they're going to understand that what they really should have been afraid of is God. The holy God will by no means clear their sin. There is none righteous that is going to get away. There are none that are going to be able to have a house in Martha's Vineyard or whether it's going to be in South Florida or whether it's going to be in Alaska or whether it's going to be in Siberia or whether it's under some, um, some uh, underwater canal like Godzilla's. You know, they have an under, underwater Atlantis there's no place that you're going to find refuge from God's wrath upon your sin. There is one place, the ark. Now, we're not going to get into a wooden ark that's been built by an old guy that took him 100 years to do it. There is an ark called Jesus Christ. And to as many as are in Christ, to them he is already authorized to be called the children of God. To those that are in Christ, you have a forgiveness of sins, which is, which is unparalleled because you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. The wages of your sin have been paid. And if I quote Isaiah, when he explained it to the people during his day, when the people were raging and imagining the vain thing, and they were setting themselves against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed, even in Isaiah's day, he said, there is one who's going to grow up like a root out of dry ground. He'll have no form or comeliness. 
Nobody will admire him. Nobody will look at him and say, wow, he belongs on the GQ magazine cover. The world will look at this one that comes out of nowhere, and they're going to say, huh? Isn't he a carpenter's boy? Isn't he from a no place place? There's going to be one that is comely, one that is meek and lowly, one who's going to be despised and rejected, one who understands your sorrows, who's acquainted with your grief and struggles. Isaiah told us that he also would be the one who would bear our grief. He would be bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace would be laid upon him. The judgment that was due upon us was going to be on Jesus Christ. And by his stripes and by his death, we would be healed. You see, the gospel message, it saves us from being deceived. It saves us from listening to the wrong voices. It saves us from misguided gospel. You see, the gospel that so many people are pushing today is not that you'll have everlasting life, but that you might have a COVID-free life, or that you might have a racially equal life, or that you might have a financial equity life. Let me tell you, you don't want that. You want everlasting life, which is communion with the holy, holy, holy God. We have the cross that's up here, and the cross is empty. The reason it's empty and that we don't have Jesus hanging there anymore is because he finished it. It's paid in full. Brothers and sisters, children that are here, are you in Christ? If you're not, you will be blotted out too. God said he's not going to send a flood I saw a rainbow this morning that was just about over the church when I was driving here about 7 o'clock this morning. He's not going to send a flood. The global warming people have it wrong. We're not going to be flooded. What they need to be ready for is not wildfires, but for the wrath of God when that trumpet sounds. Are you ready to meet him? I'm going to pray and, and we'll close up. Christian's going to come and some of the other singers come on up. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are gathered here today. And we're looking at this difficult task, uh, this difficult passage. But what it reveals is that the thoughts and intents of our hearts matter. Lord, it matters because you're a holy God and that you can know, by no means overlook the sin in our lives. Lord, I know from Psalm 23 you tell us that you will lead us in the paths of righteousness because you would never lead us in the paths of unrighteousness because your namesake, you're holy, 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 and as we follow you, we want to do what's right. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12 that because of what you've done, because of the mercies that have been extended to us, that you beg Christians to present themselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, holy and acceptable to you. Lord, that is an impossibility on our own. But for your mercy and grace, we thank you that while we were yet in dead in sins and trespasses, that you already prepared a way. You found someone who would die in our place, the blood of the perfect Lamb of God, the spotless human being who lived a worthy life, was willing to take ours, or to take on our punishment. Lord, I know I repeat that gospel over and over, and it sounds so easy, but Good Friday is an amazing day 
For that is when you ordained in the fullness of time that the wrath of the Father would be poured out on the Son who was bearing my sin. It was bearing the sins of those that you are drawing into your community. Lord, I thank you that there is hope for us because of the forgiveness of sins, because of double jeopardy, because of justice. Judgment doesn't come where it's already been. And we thank you that Jesus took it all. He paid it all. All to him we owe. It had left a crimson stain, but you washed us white as snow. Lord, I pray that you would change our behaviors and our attitudes, not because we want to escape your wrath, but because we want to commune with you the one who has saved us from all of that. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a place prepared more beautiful than eyes have seen when these burdens weigh me down I won't lose heart I will not fail grace will to suffering where I will rest in perfect peace in the presence of the King my eyes will see that I Ten thousand years and mercies dried off every tear.
made, but still I owe my life. Talking about home, I want you always to feel home. When did you first start singing? Let's go get your jingle on. Yeah, uh, first time I started singing, at least in front of people, about six years ago, I think. About six years ago. So that was up here in, in Delaware. Yep, right here, right on that stage, right there, standing right there, knees shaking and everything. All you know what song it was? Nope, but it might have been Oh Come to the Altar was the first song, which is one of my favorite songs. But I remember it's God led you to, to tell me to go on stage and just do something. And boy, it's been such a blessing to be able to learn music and to be able to glorify God through music. That's so this, you're going to Georgia. Can you just tell them real quick where you, what, what you're going to do in Georgia? So in Georgia, I'm most of you guys know that I'm going to college later this week. I'm leaving Tuesday. It's going to this gap year program down south in Georgia, just south of Atlanta. And it's all about, it's called Impact 360 Institute. And it's all about developing Christian leadership in the world around you and in any place you go. And it's indirectly related to Chick-fil-A, which is how I know about it. But it's uh, started, it was founded in 2006. Uh, from the daughter of Truett Cathy, and it's all based on Christian leadership development training. We, we actually providentially got there. I want to blame Tracy. Mm -hmm. Mom's fault. Mom's fault. Because uh, uh, my son told us that they were having a baby. Uh, they were living in Georgia, in Atlanta, and then they told us that the, in God's providence, their lease was up, so they were going to move to Delaware. That was exciting to have our grandbaby coming up here. So Christian was drafted to be able to drive one of the extra cars up. So that was a big deal to drive all those hours. Oh, yeah. 
and uh, we'll be doing it multiple times in the future. Yeah, I guess it was preparation. Yeah. So so we get down there, and, and uh, they they um, we were told Tracy told us that if we went to this Impact 360, they'd give us a Chick Fil A sandwich. So we again, it's mom's fault we didn't get Chick Fil A. She lied to us. <laughs> She didn't know. Yeah, I know. She but I wanted to go visit my brother in Columbus, and, uh, and then, then Tracy said we'd get there, and my brother's a school teacher, so he wasn't going to be available during the morning, so we said, this God's providence will go there. We got there within the first five minutes when we went in the door, and Christian says, hey, that's what my dad teaches. Exactly. It was really a surprise to think that God was directing our steps. Do you really believe that God does that? Lo and behold, I found out uh, just, to, just in the afternoon that day that my brother's school was within 10 minutes. He's a vice principal of a, of a, a middle school just down the road. And uh, so now I've got family members to check in on him if we need it. Yes. Jeannie is testifying that we had him up in the choir. It, well, uh, right, I was in the choir. I forgot about that. That was a while ago. That was a very long time. Now, one of the reasons I have him up here now is that uh, you just got to have special music, but I'd like you to join with us in singing a song that he ended up losing some of his fear on. We used to, um, uh, before COVID, every, uh, what was it, every... Every Thursday. Every Thursday. First, Thursday of, every first Thursday of every month, we were heading down to Brandywine, and sometimes we'd go over to Cadbury when it was back in the days when it was called Cadbury, and do that every other Sunday or something like that. But Christian was forced. How would you call it? Uh, voluntold, not forced. Voluntold. Sounds better. Sounds better. Voluntold. So I, I had Christian come with me because uh, it was much easier. I told him, look, I don't, it doesn't matter whether you sing well or not. The audience is not going to write a negative article about you. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and uh, he, there was one lady that gave you a little gold candy. All the time, every time. Okay, we, we can go through all of those thoughts. Uh, but if you come on close up, uh, we ended up singing a song that was, what, page eight in that songbook yep, and the spiral eight. thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was it? In the Garden. In the garden. We're going to sing in the garden. I'd like you to end up joining with us in a little bit. But oftentimes when, uh, when, uh, when our pianist didn't show up, we had to wing it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so let's go ahead and sing a little bit. We'll end up singing this through Testing. twice. I think you have the words, but let's go ahead and start with this. Is, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear the Son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known please stand with me and we're going to end up singing this last one as our benediction and Sean is going to come up and pray for us he speaks, and the sound of his voice 
voice is so sweet. The birds hush their singing, and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Let's, let's pray for Christian. Father, thank you so much for this young man and the example that he is. I know it's been a pleasure working alongside of him for the past few years, and I know that wherever he goes, that he will be taking Jesus with him. Lord, I pray that you would get him settled in at this new place that he's going to just be an extension of this church. Lord, I pray that you would give him great opportunities, Lord, in continuing his gift in music um, as well as uh, his gifted personality, just to be able to share the gospel wherever he goes, Lord, as you would just shine your light brightly through him, that you'd continue to do that. Lord, I know we're going to miss him here, but uh, we are um, sending him out, Lord, basically as your missionary to Georgia and to that whole Impact 360 place, Lord. We just pray that Christian would be there to make an impact in other lives as well. Lord, we love you. We just thank you so much. And we just want to honor you with everything. And we just uh, pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And hallelujah. Jesus is Lord. God bless you all.